Welcome to episode 12 of Perspectives Unsettled, a podcast that exists to challenge our assumptions about faith and move the average Christian from status quo into boldness and action. I'm Emily Luttrell. And I'm Ben Stewart. And with us, as always, our producer, Noah Gray. Hello. Welcome to 2021, guys. All right. We're here. How does it feel? Feels like it's already been a year. (laughs) (laughs) Feels like last year just sort of turned into this year. Yeah. yeah. 2020 part two, maybe. Somebody said that, um, yeah, it's 2021, but 2020 threw up on the way out the door. And <laughs> now we have to clean it up. <laughs> I was like, that's actually yeah, that's pretty that's accurate really yeah. to what's happening in the world. It helps we're having a really beautiful winter down here in southern Indiana. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't know like it was possible for just rain when it's below right. like 30. Yeah. But, but now just lucky. Now we know it's possible. Yeah. There are many things that the beautiful Ohio River give us. Um, One of them is abnormal weather patterns. Yeah. Um, That actually may be the only thing. I take that back. There's probably some other abnormal things that come as a result of the Ohio River. Mutant fish. I don't want to know about those. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I have been been tubing in the Ohio River on multiple occasions. I've knee boarded. (laughs) It's not... It's not particularly fun. Yeah, it wasn't really fun, but it doesn't sound like it. I think it's part of the experience, you know. Sorry for the sidetrack there. It's an initiation, if you will. (laughs) Yeah. So Ben? Uh no. Yeah, any any (laughs) any day now. I'm good. Is there gonna be a patented Ben? I don't know. That's what I was just gonna say. Do we do we wanna do a a cool fun icebreaker? What is your favorite winter activity that requires either snow or ice? The staying inside count. (laughs) (laughs) looking at the snow and ice i i um so like my youth group that i went to growing up did a ski trip every year but like a ski trip to a ski place in southern indiana so Mm, right right like lower your colorado expectations for this sure sure um and i went every year and i hate skiing i just hate it i was bad at it Mm -hmm. and it was not the best experience and so my favorite like snow time activity is to sit on the like porch of the lodge and watch people fall as they get off the ski lift. <laughs> just <laughs> laugh at them while they're falling. Just like to enjoy out. a warm beverage yeah. and be with my friends and just laugh at other people doing what I absolutely would do if I had to be out there. Right. What's the French word for instead of? It's not like <laughs> opera ski where it's like after ski. She's having like an instead yes, of ski. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. How about you, Noah? Was it involves snow and ice? I mean, it's, you know, like, yeah, something. I mean, it can't be like winter, but it's like 50. Right. Exactly. I mean, I have no idea. I mean, other than from when I was a kid. Yeah. Going out and playing in the snow. And I have memories of that. I was going to say, do you have like one profound memory that sticks out to you as a kid playing in the snow? I don't. Did you ever build like a massive snow fort or at least a snow fort that felt massive to you at that time? I don't know if I built a snow fort. I'm sure we built snowmen. Um, very rarely did we have enough snow to do that. Although there were <laughs> many more snow days than than happens now. Yeah, I think now it's mostly ice days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I do remember in high school having a foot to two feet of snow during winter break that all cleared out by the time school got back. Yep. Yep. Um so any missed days of school were just they were already off. So we didn't we didn't get gotcha. to the advantage of that. Right. I don't remember any particular one. I always remember my mom when we were real little, uh go out and play in the snow and we'd come back in and she'd have hot chocolate and rice nice. crispy treats for us. Nice. Yeah. Um but other than that, I've been skiing once. Ben was there for that. <laughs> I wish talk, I would have been there. I wish I would have story. been sitting uh, on the porch watching this happen. There would have been some good moments. Oh, yeah. I think I would have really enjoyed it. Yeah. Uh, there is 100% one of them on film. So, yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, That's right. Ben has that on his phone. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. It, I had my moments. I had, I had flashes of brilliance. I, I do still honestly feel guilty about that whole experience for you. Okay, here was the thing. We go up and Ben's like, it'll be fine. We'll just go down the green line the whole time. It, man, mind you, like we're not going up to the highest possible like stop on the mountain. Mm-hmm. But, but like 
the it, next it's not yeah, stop. it's not it, it was, bunny hill. this was not the bunny hill mm-hmm. no it, nor even like a step or two above the bunny hill <laughs> this was like this was is like, the easiest one to get all the way down the mountain i think i was literally <laughs> like noah here's how you put your skis on click click here's how you sit here's on how you the get them chair off. list chairlift and then the chairlifts happen to take us pretty much <laughs> to the top of a colorado mountain yeah it felt like about five minutes in the chairlift probably wasn't but you know <laughs> yeah i was nervous and then uh they were like oh you're doing great oh no you're not and uh <laughs> then after i made my way to like a warming house uh-huh. ben was like all right i'm gonna go do some stuff and then they came back and he was like all right let's go do some bunny hills and then we did bunny hills for like 45 minutes and i was like why didn't yeah what because you got it right away because somebody was explaining it to me right (laughs) (laughs) it wasn't steep yeah so should have started there yeah 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 (laughs) i'm not a not like the uh little kids that you grew up (laughs) that that grew up that's under your care that could just strap on skis and be like yeah exactly yeah. So sorry, Noah, going on public record here, apologizing. <laughs> I accept your apology. Thank I you. still had a great time. I'm I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. Will we go skiing again at some point, Noah? Oh yeah. So my girlfriend now is like very excited to go skiing with me because she grew up going on ski vacations. But I think it's for the same reason that like, you know, you had such a great time watching me <laughs> try and ski. <laughs> is that she can't wait to like watch me fall. Yeah. And mm-hmm. then like have to stand around me while I try and suffer as I get yeah. back up. I think it'll be better next time. Yeah. Again, I would love to be there sitting inside watching from a window. Yeah, you would have enjoyed that I whole really episode. think I would. I didn't well, yeah, I did. Never mind. I'll take it back. I was gonna say I didn't fall right at the last hill, but I absolutely did fall right at that last Yes, you did. The very first time. Yep. Second time not so much. Yeah. You you know, you made, you made significant improvement as the day progressed. Yeah. After we got to the money yep. hill mm-hmm. again, I'm going to take lessons and not from Ben next time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was bad. Ben, is it skiing for you? I mean, skiing, yeah, skiing. Um, but you know, there are other like unique memories that stand out to me. So when we lived in Wisconsin, we did do the whole snowmobiling thing. It's a lot of fun if you've never done that. It sounds fun. Um, and I did yeah. like jump off of a snowbank on a snowmobile. Cool. Which sounds really cool and when you first go off it feels really cool until you realize your snowmobile tips really easily in the air (laughs) so i had to bail on that one so that was that was a little little scary moment that's exactly where i thought it was going yeah yeah exactly i thought you you were going to say i had to jump off of a moving snowmobile but you said jump a snowbank right but then got to where I can. so it was a little like <laughs> so, plot twist in yeah, the middle of the story. Yeah, yeah. Still ended with Ben jumping I did off, jump of a off a snowmobile. Yeah. Just happened to be the snowmobile was in the air, I starting really to turn upside story. down. Yeah, so it's a good story. Yeah, but no, yeah, I'm I'm a big fan of the the snow activities. Mm-hmm. Not so much ice skating. I could do without ice skating. I also hate ice skating. Yep, or yeah. ice fishing. Ooh. I really hate. I've ice never fishing. been ice fishing. You never need to go. I it's not like this drive that I have for it, so I think I'm good. Yep. When it comes to global missions in today's world, there's a lot to discuss. And this year, we want to address some of the proverbial elephants in the room when it comes to Western evangelicalism, missions, and the implications of a Christian faith. But before we get ahead of ourselves in critiquing the culture, we have to recognize our part in it. We have to examine not just where we are currently, but also where we've been and where we've been complicit in some of the harmful thought patterns that we want to discuss. So today, we're talking about Uncharted's history, not to try to atone for things we've done and not to make scapegoats out of the people or the decisions that were made before the three of us were ever on staff or involved. If we want to move forward and change and adapt, we need to understand the context we're in. That includes our past. We can't pretend like the way we think now has been the way we've always thought as individuals and as an organization. So, what were the intentions behind starting Uncharted, and how does that compare to what we do now? How have our programs and missiology evolved? What have we done wrong, and what do we want to move toward in the future? 
So as we get started in these kinds of conversations, I think it's important for us to have context about Uncharted specifically as an organization and talking about where we've been, uh, where we started and the things that we've changed and learned along the way from our failures, from our successes, um, and to have this understanding of, of our history so that we can move into the future and new changes and uh, new programs and new ideas um, with context and with a better understanding and wisdom mm. um, of where we've started. So I actually, I remember when Uncharted was started because I was attending a church that launched Uncharted. Mm -hmm. um, but I had pretty much no connection to it, really. I didn't do, um, I wasn't involved until late in high school after I think pretty much all of my friends had at some point gone on a trip with Uncharted <laughs> or sponsoring somebody. I was kind of a late adapter with that. Um, and none of us really were here um, on staff. It's like I was a child, so obviously I was not. <laughs> and if you were a child, I was a child. Yeah, then you were in Minnesota, probably somewhere. So what was the passion that launched Uncharted? Why was it created in the first place? Yeah, so the sort of the short story of it is it was really brought together by, as, as you referenced, Emily, um, a couple of churches in particular in the southern Indiana. We were recording this in a city of Evansville, Indiana. And there were two churches in particular who had a desire to engage globally in what God was doing around the world, but primarily, or I would even say exclusively, in people groups and places that are considered unreached. And there's a lot of different ways to qualify or define that word unreached in the context of missions. I would say the most basic or simple term is a, a people group where there's 3% or less of um, some sort of Christ following presence, whether those are expats like international workers or um, even more so like national believers. So there were two churches in this area that had a desire to get engaged with helping reached places like that, 3% or less reached, and um, started a nonprofit called Uncharted which really was meant at that time just to be sort of a landing place where these two churches and individual participants and donors could sort of hang their hat and, and join in together um, to engage in some of those, some of those works. And early on there was a work uh, expressed in the country of Myanmar, formerly Burma in Southeast Asia, which interestingly enough, at the time of this recording, there's a lot happening today Mm -hmm. in in Myanmar with a military coup. Um, and then also some work in China, a little bit of work in China that they were connected to, and then remotely connected to some work in Central Asia. And so these churches uh, started Uncharted. They uh, identified a board and, and a primary leader for the organization. And to their credit, I think one of the great things out of the gate that the the board identified is this is really what we want to be about is helping multiply disciples in these types of places. And that really, especially, I don't know, this was about like 10, 12, 14 years ago. That was not as popular as it is today. I mean, the, the popular expression of global mission was going to places that were way more accessible, places that were a bit easier to get to, certainly easier to do ministry in. And so to their, to the credit of those churches and those initial leaders, those founding leaders of uncharted, they really did want to live up to the name, you know, this, that, that idea of uncharted territory. Um, so it's really cool that that, that was the DNA from the beginning. Now, fast forward a, f a few years, I'll say in short, um, there were some pretty significant road bumps along the way in those first few years that led to some vision drift. And so there was a pretty pivotal moment in the life of Uncharted about five years in where the board had to step back and really evaluate where do we go from here? Do we, do we want to keep moving forward or do we want to just shut this thing down? So there really was a sort of a Kairos moment, as they say. And obviously the board didn't feel like the, the time was come to shut it down. And 
they moved ahead and um, that's how I got connected to it. And so even though Uncharted has been formally an organization for about 12 years now, I would say it's really within the last four years that there's been what has felt like a hard reset and and restart to the organization. So in many ways, we we feel like a four-year-old organization, mm-hmm. even though formally we've been around longer than that. So that's just some of the brief history of how it started. Um, ha- you know, happy to share more just about some of the work that Uncharted has been a part of, continues to be a part of, has stopped being a part of, but that's, that's how it kind of birthed. Yeah. Um, as I was preparing for this podcast, I was trying to actually list out all of the different programs that Uncharted has has run or managed or supported, been a part of um, in these different communities. And just in Myanmar, which is, you know, the most developed of our communities, mm-hmm. I guess I would say we've been there the longest. It's mm-hmm. where it's really what started Uncharted um, and it's where most people have the most personal connection to. Um, just in Myanmar, when Uncharted started, um, it was really hand in hand with the child sponsorship program because mm-hmm. our connection to the country was um, a network of leaders who ran children's ministries. So there's child sponsorship, which included a lot of short-term trips. There's a Bible college mm-hmm. that we help support, um, the Thilo Center, which is for women who are survivors of human trafficking. Mm-hmm. Um, there's church planners, there's a microfinancing system, and then there's the Loom House, which is a fair trade store um, that sells blankets and other um, stuff that the workers in Myanmar make um, here in the States that goes back to pay them fair wages. And that's just in Myanmar. And <laughs> I can't, I actually don't even know all the things that we've been a part of in Central Asia. Mm-hmm. Our work and presence in Central Asia has actually has a lot of history as well. And a, a lot of it, some of the nuanced details of it, I don't even fully grasp, but um, my understanding is a long time ago, I believe even before Uncharted was formally started, we had a presence um, through the expression of a, a school for children in a particular country in Central Asia, ran that school for several years. Uh, through that, got connected to a partner organization, and we merged schools at that time. So Uncharted relinquished at that time, this was probably about Again, maybe eight eight to 10 years ago, we relinquished direct oversight, if you will, of programs on the ground in Central Asia and really just said through this partner, through this other partner organization, that's how we'll maintain our presence. So uh, through financial support, through resources, through short-term trips, we partnered with this other organization and maintained a presence in, in this part of Central Asia. For a while, there was a lot of community-based projects that were happening around the country um, in this particular part of Central Asia, everything everything from educational systems, clean water initiatives, medical support, economic initiatives that would help with job creation. I mean, it was a huge, massive undertaking over there. And over the last several of years, there's been, a, a I would say, a refocusing there as well. So yeah, similar to Myanmar, uh, the work over there was very extensive. The big difference was we were really just a partner, um, sort of from a distance participating through a partnership. So looking at all these programs that we've had a part in either creating or running or managing, most of this stuff we don't actively do anymore. Mm-hmm. We've gone through a really long process of of pruning things, of, of spinning programs out into their own, of handing them to different people to manage. Mm-hmm. And there are a, there's a lot of reasons for all of that, and all of them were difficult decisions. Um, and some of them we'll be talking about more in later mm-hmm. episodes, specifically um, the child sponsorship program and our relationship with that and mm-hmm. how that can be done well. But it's really difficult to to cut these kinds of programs, especially when they're, they're good things. Mm-hmm. You can't, right. you can't look at a, a center for women who have been victims of human trafficking that gives them a safe place to live and helps get them a, a new start in a career and, mm-hmm. and think maybe that's not something we want to support. But just because something is a really good thing doesn't mean that we can, it can be done in a really good way by mm-hmm. the same people who do a bunch of other stuff too. Right. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm glad that in further episodes, you know, we'll come back and unpack some of these a bit more. But if I had to boil it down to like, what are what are a couple of reasons why we did prune the things that we did, primarily in Myanmar, but even in Central Asia, I would say one is organizational health. And when I say organizational health, certainly I mean uncharted, but I also mean even just like the ministry, the, the ministries themselves that we're cutting. It, it's not fair to us, but even more so, it's not fair to a ministry like the Philo Center, where we have one organization, in this case, uncharted, trying to be experts <laughs> in four, five, six different, not just ministries, but almost like completely different fields. Mm hmm. Um, it's really hard and takes a lot of energy to run a fair trade program and, and ministry in the way that it really should be, um, in a way that's healthy, in a way that's most effective, in a way that um, is true to the heart of why fair trade is, is meant to happen in the first place. It takes so much energy and thought and care and sensitivity to invest in a center that is all about the restoration of victims of trafficking and the list goes on microfinancing. That's no joke. Like you shouldn't just sort of like casually get into my, how to do <laughs> microfinancing. And, and so really it was an admission on our part. Like we can't do all of this and, and we're not doing any of it really well. And so for the sake of those or uh, for the sake of those other ministries and programs, we want to see them become the best that they can be. And so what's what's really neat is in the case of the Thilo Center, the Center for Victims of Trafficking, um, they were able to get to a point. I mean, we we put a plan in place over this uh, the span of a couple of years where they became completely self self-sustainable and independent. And that's huge. I mean, for any globally focused ministry, that's one of the ultimate goals mm -hmm. is to, in essence, work yourself out of a job. So some of the pruning looked like that. You know, it's hard. Like you said, like who doesn't want to be part of helping restore victims of trafficking? But what a beautiful thing to say that that ministry, that program, that center exists today without a direct dependency upon us. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. It's a lot like conversations that we have around work, our individual work mm -hmm. on a daily basis for Uncharted, but really for for any organization that you might work for, in order to do something well, sometimes that means giving up on something else. Right. On top of that, I'm the director of communications. Sometimes I might have to dip my toes in the water of operations right. or engagement or what have you, but I'm asked to do a pretty specific set of things yep. because I can do them well. Yep. And asking me to split my time between operations and engagement mm -hmm. and a bunch of other stuff on top of being doing what I'm good at means that I can't even do what I'm good at well. Right. It's it's harder to look at global missions and humanitarian work that way mm -hmm. because everything is good. Yep. Everything can be great. Everything can fall under our banner yep. if you really want to put it there. Yep. But how effective will we be if we can be hyper-focused in on something that we're really, really good at yep. and we know how to do well and let somebody else take the reins on the other parts. That's right. And that was really the shift that took place about, again, three to four years ago where we said all these other things are really, really good, but they we can't give them the attention that they deserve. Coupled with the fact that you know, 10, 12 years ago when Uncharted was initially birthed, it was the sole primary vision and heartbeat was how can we help multiply and catalyze discipleship movements in places that are really unreached. So that's what we went after at the expense of other things, which were really hard to let go of. Um, but then also opening up new opportunities that have been really exciting to pursue. One of the other things that has, has changed a lot with Uncharted's focus is a, maybe a de-emphasis on short-term trips Mm -hmm. I know growing up hearing about Uncharted, that's kind of the only thing I thought it was mm -hmm. other than a, a child sponsorship program in like a short term trip factory. Right. In a sense, my my first experience with Uncharted was through a short term trip mm -hmm. to a community where we don't go anymore. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I went to China with Uncharted. 
Um, and then didn't do anything with Uncharted until I started working here. Yeah. <laughs> Not that it was a bad experience. And short-term trips, again, are a topic we have actually already talked about in a podcast episode with Sarah Bournes, who is one of our board members and like a total expert in planning mm-hmm. and managing and thinking about short-term trips. But especially became clear this past year when we couldn't do any trips like that, but a, a hyper-focus on something like a short-term trip turns Uncharted into a travel agency mm-hmm. um, and like an experience factory mm-hmm. and not a missions organization anymore. Yeah, I think I think that as is pretty common in any ministry, whether it's locally focused or globally focused, it's it's initially driven by good intent. You know, I mean that that's why people start things is there's they see a need, they see a problem, they want to fix it and and out of a place of genuine good intent, they go after how do we how do we fix this? How do we go after this? And I don't want to minimize how important that is. You need people with that drive, with that passion. I think along the way, though, in the case of Uncharted specifically, some things that maybe weren't defined very clearly would, would be around the ideas of like, what, what is our missiology? Like, what's, our, what's the philosophy of mission that we're going to put into place? Missiology. And that, that wasn't um, as strong in the beginning years. Um, with Uncharted as maybe it has become today, missiology that shapes how do we do the work that we do, why do we do the work that we do in different parts of the world, but missiology that also shapes what place and what importance do things like short-term trips have in our organization. And so I, I would say as our missiology has matured, as our missiology has become more important to us as an organization, that has directly impacted why we do short-term trips or why we don't do short-term trips as much. So it's shifted dramatically uncharted from going from this, I like how you said like that short-term trip factory or that experience Mm -hmm. factory really to this position of we're only going to do that if it directly supports this, this movement and this vision and this focus on discipleship multiplication um, in these parts of the world where God has called us to work. So, yeah, that's been one of the biggest shifts of Uncharted, especially for people who knew us, you know, six, seven years ago. And the pandemic has sort of mm-hmm. accelerated and elevated the need to find other experiences to engage people with. That's right. It has placed a high emphasis on the fact that, well, short-term missions may not always be possible. Yeah. Clearly, they haven't been in the last year. They may not be for the next year, Yeah, potentially. And who knows what the next outbreak may be. Yeah. We faced Ebola before. We faced swine flu before. But they were much more localized. Yeah. And we don't know the face of human toll that, you know, in a pandemic can face. Mm-hmm. Or take. a military coup. Or a right. military coup. Right. Or yeah. uh, an, a non-military uh, <laughs> country takeover in central asia that right. could very well happen yeah. you know these if we limit ourselves to trips being the only expression that uncharted offers yep. we severely limit the yep. engagement we potential that we have it was really important for us a couple of years ago to identify as an organization what we are not and one of the things that we said we are not is we are not a short-term sending agency or ministry that doesn't mean we don't value short-term trips. It doesn't mean that we don't see a, pl- a place and a role that they can play, but that's not our primary thing. And exactly to your point, Noah, I think that freed, I'll say it freed me up at least, and I think it freed us up as a team to say, okay, in, in quote-unquote normal conditions, short-term trips are a really great way to accomplish X, Y, or Z. But under abnormal conditions, when we don't have the luxury and the freedom to do short-term trips, we still want to accomplish X, Y, and Z. We just have to find different ways of doing them. And I think that was very freeing for us as a team to, to say, we don't have to apologize for, you know, not having short-term trip opportunities. We don't have to feel bad about it. We don't have to feel like, oh my goodness, we're missing the mark um, as an organization because we can't do this. Actually, in some ways, 2020, we saw more direct fruit and impact with what we are focused on in terms of our global mission than we have in years prior. 
So that says a lot about how there's been a shift of our or a refinement of our focus and, and vision. All right. Are you guys ready to talk about our mistakes? <laughs> how much time do we have? Always. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> Let's start with Noah. Here's okay. my list. I, I came. Oh, wait, not like staff. I came mistakes. with a spreadsheet. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's filtered by name first, by topic second. Right. Obviously, Uncharted is not run by perfect people the whole time. And even with the best of intentions, we screw up sometimes. Um, and there are a lot of pitfalls, specifically with nonprofits and missions organizations, that are really hard to avoid. And there are things that we definitely have. Uh, have brought <laughs> into our organization. And I'm glad we're able to recognize them, first of all, and and not um, hold ourselves above our own critique. But they're, they're hard to talk about sometimes, especially when mm-hmm. you're the ones doing it. That, the first thing that came to mind, <laughs> thinking of all of Uncharted's mistakes. You had to pick just one. Right. And, and this is something we kind of touched on a little bit earlier as this idea of um, we're trying to do way too many things at once. And mm-hmm. that means we can't do any of them well. And that's, again, like we said, it's so hard to do when you're thinking specifically with humanitarian things, because nothing is unimportant and nothing is bad. Nothing is wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, how could you stop yourself from from helping people who are hungry and also they need shoes and also can we find somewhere for them to live Mm -hmm. and all this stuff. But when we can't say no to something, when we can't hold to our own vision, then we're just completely lost and not able to, to focus in any particular direction. Yep. And I think one of the things that we're learning as an organization and, and maybe, you know, maybe the negative way of saying this is some of the mistakes we've made is that on the one hand, it, it shouldn't be, either or. And I do think a lot of mission agencies and mission philosophies fall into this trap of it's either or it's, it's either purely evangelistic outreach, you know, talk about Jesus, share the gospel or humanitarian or, you know, social justice or meet the needs, physical needs of people. It's either or. And I, um, I do think that's a mistake, um, not just in global expressions of, of ministry, but even local that we've tried to address of saying, no, it's a both and it's a both and that the gospel is meant to be declared and demonstrated. You see it in the ministry of Jesus all the time, but by adopting a, a, a both and approach doesn't mean that there's not the place for primacy. And I think that that is where we ran into some trouble. And so in, in adopting this sort of both and like we, we it's word and deed, the deed very quickly began to overshadow and take primacy above everything else. And so that's why we started saying yes to anything that felt good to do. Mm-hmm. You know, well, yeah, that's a good thing. Let's do that too. Well, that's a good thing. Let's do that too. Without remembering like where, what's the primacy? What, what place is everything supposed to have? What is it ultimately supposed to be leading towards and moving towards in the case of Uncharted? And so I think that a mistake that we have had to walk through and and learn is, okay, it's not an either or, like there's meant to be a holistic expression of the gospel, but there is also primacy. And that primacy is going to influence what we say yes to or how much we say yes to something. How do we keep from good things overshadowing the right things. Um, And that's been a tough lesson for us to learn and keep in mind. I think it's also something that you see, especially with my friends who work in churches, just personally, they're they're asked to do so much Mm -hmm. and spread thin and then not able to do many things well. And I think working for ministry or missions organization or a church is such a, you know, like quote unquote passion Mm -hmm. um, focused job that, there's almost an expectation that you're going to go above and beyond and uh, and you're going to work yourself harder than, than you want to. And you're going to make yourself tired. You're going to stretch yourself thin because, but you love it so much Mm -hmm. and we're not going to pay you either, but, (laughs) um, but you should, you should try harder and you should do more. And that is just another, I mean, whenever we were doing, who knows how many trips to Myanmar a year? That's a 
Like there's really one staff person who, who leads all those and that takes a toll on somebody's yeah. life with their, the time with their family and their time home and time being yeah. able to focus on like their actual job responsibilities yeah. as opposed to leading trips and dealing with roommate drama and stuff like that. <laughs> Although Jeff has some really great stories about me and my roommate drama. <laughs> yes. I mean, maybe that's worth it right there. I don't know. I do think though, Emily, that that's a good recognition and sort of segue into another mistake. I would say Uncharted specifically is guilty of in the past. And I, and I do think a lot of nonprofits, again, typically out of good intent is this idolization of frugality and just how that becomes almost the overriding sense of we're being successful and we're we're doing we're doing the right stuff as an organization is when everything is just about penny pinching you know cutting corners in the sense of like how do we make this the cheapest possible and that that is reflected typically in investment in staff um and this is something that like we i I think I can say as the executive director, like we've made some good progress in, but still need to make more progress in. But I do think that that's an easy trap for nonprofits to fall into is frugality is king. And so to your point, like what's the lowest amount of dollar I can pay for this person Mm -hmm. and get the most amount of work out of them. And we all know like that's not how you attract quality talent. Um, and it's certainly not how you retain it um, and care care for those people. So I think that that is something that Uncharted both is guilty of in the past. And I would say we're still trying to move out of that. Yeah. I mean, Emily, you said a lot of times in ministries in general, it's a passion job mm-hmm. in a way. But you should be rewarded for that passion <laughs> because you're going to work harder mm-hmm. automatically. If you love music and you're maybe you're not a musician but you're technically savvy and you have the skills to um to do music recording well that's going to be a passion you usually don't get into that if you're just like eh, it's fine i'm good at it it's fine you're probably going to be still be rewarded for that because it's your passion mm-hmm. you are going to go above and beyond because that's what you want to do mm-hmm. but you should be rewarded for that as well because you're going to do much more higher quality high quality work through that passion. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when frugality reigns and when you, the expectations of donors reign supreme, yep. it's, you said it's an easy trap, but it's an understandable one. Right. Yep. Um, when people don't want to see, you know, the money going to quote unquote line your pockets, mm-hmm. you get it. Yep. But it's a, it's a, to be frank, it's a misunderstanding of how an organization can be run effectively. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. I think Ben, you maybe use this example in a meeting of like if a car is breaking down mm-hmm. and like doors are falling off and it's not starting, like the the temptation is to like do what you can to keep it all together, like to duct tape the doors back on and patch the tires and whatever. But what would be better is just spend your money fixing the engine. Right. And then get to get to the other stuff again. Right. And that I think is it is another way to to tie in this idea of knowing how to let go of good things mm-hmm. because if you're spending all of your um, resources trying to to maintain these programs or these mm-hmm. ideas of things that you really want to happen at the expense of like you know your your car engine mm-hmm. then you're going to fall apart and you have to be able to know when the door needs to just like fall off and you'll (laughs) yeah you'll buy another door yeah (laughs) yeah or convert to a jeep i was gonna say or just have more fun maybe driving driving down the road without a door yeah (laughs) Yeah. fred flintstone it that's right but it is this i mean especially the staff of any nonprofit, any organization is the lifeblood of the organization and so you know you can look at well well, our work in Central Asia and our work in Myanmar and other parts of the world, like we want to invest the most in those. And yes, we do. But actually, in order to invest the most in those, we need to invest more in the heartbeat and the engine and the lifeblood of of the impact that's going out into those places. And, you know, that's you guys. That's the uncharted staff, because the better we thrive, the better you thrive, the healthier the organization will be at its core. 
and that will trickle effect out, you know, and then one day we'll realize, hey, we can not only buy duct tape to keep the door shut, we can actually buy a new door and hey, we can not, you know, so there is a more long term sustainability approach in that sense. Does this mean I can get like a new space heater for my office if you're going to be investing? Well, I mean, there, you know, there's boundaries, there's <laughs> limits. Like, I've let's got not one. get crazy here. I've got one in my work office. You can, okay, you can kind of, it rattles a bit, but like, I don't know that I've ever seen a space heater that doesn't make some sort of wheezy noise. So, right. The other thing that's really tricky for nonprofits in general is how we how we talk about money, really, and how it can end up really mythologizing this idea of what a donor's money really does. Mm -hmm. And it's really, it's really hard to be careful around language as somebody who has to spend a lot of time writing um, and thinking about the specific words we use. Um, it's really hard to convey what actually happens to your money when you donate to Uncharted without trying to sound like you are tricking them right. <laughs> and giving to something because, I mean, to be frank, it is really not very sexy to ask somebody to <laughs> donate so that we can pay the electric bill in our office. Right. Nobody really wants to donate to that. Right. But we also can't say like 99% of every dollar goes directly to to rice that refugees eat. It's like, well, <laughs> somebody has to be able to be there exactly. to process these payments. Yeah. No, that's exactly right. And I think that's where, again, a lot of times... Um, I mean, I've had multiple conversations with board members from other nonprofits and those board members have more of like a business background and they'll come to me and be like, am I missing something? Like what, why are nonprofits not run like a business? I mean, I get that they're not make, supposed to make a profit, but like, how come they're not being run like a business? And, and there's a lot of merit to that where you think about a business that makes, you know, a widget. Well, they could say, it costs three cents to make this widget, but it actually doesn't. It costs $3 to make the widget because for every widget being made, to your point, there has to be a factory where that widget is being made and mm -hmm. the lights and the energy and the the machines and the personnel to run the machines that make. So really the widget costs $3, you know, when you add on all the other expenses and, and it's the same reality with a nonprofit um, where yes, like all the work, all the energy, all the resources, all the passion, of course, 110% of that is what's going out the doors to our friends around the world. But for that bag of rice to be purchased by our staff in Central Asia and then delivered to the refugee camp where these impoverished families are living that provides them a month and a half worth of food Who's, who's wiring the money that was donated over to Central Asia? And who's the one telling the story about the impact of that bag of rice on that family? And we've got to have uh, subscriptions to the payment platforms right. and to the website's <laughs> platforms exactly. in order to receive the funds in the first place. Yep. So that, yeah, that, that speaks to your myth that, you know, it, it's actually a disservice to the donor to say 99% of, of your donation is going directly to X, Y, or Z. Mm -hmm. um, that means you're probably doing a pretty crappy job actually <laughs> of actually supporting that person. Right. And it also completely cuts us out of any aspect of like, well, we, we are ministry workers ourselves. Yeah. And just because, you know, we're not somebody who's living overseas and we're not knocking on doors and we're not inviting people to house churches doesn't mean we're not also part of the mission. Yep we get kind of cut out and and lumped into like a necessary evil mm -hmm. almost right. <laughs> like, well, I know we need ads for, for all this stuff. We need postcards to go out. So like, I guess you guys should be able to do that. Yeah. But really what, what the whole thing is, you know, the people overseas and that's all, that's all there is like, well, we're actually part of the, <laughs> we're on the, right. we're on the same team. Right. I have a friend who runs another nonprofit and he calls all of, all of the expenses that go into staff and operations and all of that, he calls it the, the awesomeness factor. <laughs> and so when he's talking to donors, he's like, I want you to invest in the awesomeness factor because these are the things that it takes for us to be an, an amazing, awesome ministry. 
Um, and it just, even little simple things like that help reframe for donors. Like, what am I investing in? It's not, you know, reframing it from the electricity bill to <laughs> operational expenses. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. I mean, it's a little corny, but I think it's a good idea. Yeah. Obviously, everybody loves talking about money and cutting programs and making hard decisions. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, everybody loves talking about Favorite that. Topic. So why are we doing this to ourselves? Why do we spend this time? We're masochists. <laughs> <laughs> Potentially. But I think for where we want to go with Uncharted, but more specifically with this podcast in this upcoming year, um, we just want to be willing to jump head first into a lot of the topics that either don't get talked about, frankly, or are weird and uncomfortable to talk about. Um, and we needed to start from a place where we um, could give you context of where we're coming from with all of the good and all the bad that comes with it. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a, it's a really healthy measure and recognition to say in order for us to keep moving forward as an organization, in order for us to keep moving forward as a podcast, we, we do need to recognize the elephants in the room. You know, that's, that's a phrase we're using a lot right now on the uncharted staff when it comes to missions, like what are the elephants in the room um, that we ourselves have created or what are elephants in the room that are just connected to global mission work in general that we may not be directly responsible for, but we would be naive to not at least talk about them and acknowledge them and address ways that we have fallen into them or address ways that we're trying to, we're trying to compensate for them or, you know, do it, do it the right way. Um, so today I think is great, is great just to sort of lay that foundation and wet people's appetite of like, okay, we want to acknowledge that any mistakes that we're talking about moving forward in this podcast are ones that we ourselves have made, or at least we're, we're cognizant of, and we hope to do it the right way. Yeah. So some, some of the things we're looking at talking about, um, include such, you know, spicy topics as orphan ministries and poverty. And what does it mean to do something like that? Well, and what does it mean to do something like that poorly? And what, um, what kind of consequences come from that? We want to talk about um, looking at post-Christian cultures and the belief of universalism or a lack of belief in hell and how that affects missions in those places, but also um, missions coming from a, a growingly post-Christian culture themselves. We we don't want to just like talk about something weird or outrageous or attention getting for the sake of talking about it or for the sake of making someone mad or in trying to to prove a point to ourselves. Ben, you mentioned this um, the other day when we were talking about the podcast, but really missions in general, but also issues like this, they go they go both ways. It's not just us reaching out to people or us teaching ourselves something about what's happening out there over there that, so that we can go help them better and we can understand what, um, what we need to do better. But a lot of these things are not unique to the Western American Christian mindset. Mm -hmm. A post-Christian culture is already in Europe, in Serbia, and they have as much to teach us mm -hmm. about this topic as we can learn. Yeah. I mean, I think if there's one thing I hope about this podcast that could be said about this podcast and you know, months and years to come, I, I would hope that people would be able to recognize how it did serve as that two-way conduit. You know, the one direction being sort of the, the globally focused, internationally focused from our perspective here in the U.S., talking about topics that, uh, as you've already mentioned, like how do we engage in global work in a meaningful, healthy way? What are, what are the mistakes that have been made in the past that we need to acknowledge and grieve and admit and then say, here's how we're going to do it differently? So I would hope that this podcast would would take on some topics that address that direction of the conduit. But likewise, as you just said, you know, obviously it's arrogant of us to assume that like all the learning happens in one direction mm -hmm. and how much learning we have the opportunity to experience from our brothers and sisters and just people around the world. Um, you know, as you said, America has become in some places and is quickly becoming in other places a post-Christian culture. 
So many of the things that we were able to assume even 10, 15, 20 years ago, we can no longer assume as followers of Jesus. And and yet our brothers and sisters around the world, they're living it like they've been living in this for years. So what is it that we can learn from them? Um, Islam is one of the fastest growing religions in the world, you know, and so our relationships with people who are Muslim, um, we have a lot to learn about about what it means to be in fellowship and relationship and friendship with people um, who follow a different a different faith and that they are people, you know, that mm-hmm. um, they're not just the stereotype. And so as we see an increasing number of people who are Muslim in our own community, like what do we learn about 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 what it means to have friendship with them? So anyways, I'm excited how this podcast can serve as a conduit for both ways. Yeah, so moving forward, I think we see this episode as sort of a launch of uh, the second season of of uh, Perspectives Unsettled. And while this episode might feel very similar to episodes in the past, so season one, you'll start to notice that we have a bit of a different framing around each episode. Um, there will be a lot more of that back and forth between what's coming from the West and what's coming from the world. And you'll start to maybe even notice a bit of a difference in some of the format. And we want to keep pursuing um, better, more effective ways to not only address these topics, but but get this information out to you. It's a pretty low cost way of of engaging people with what Uncharted does and what Uncharted is and what perspectives unsettled wants to talk about this might be a little uncomfortable for some people and that's okay mm-hmm. <laughs> that's the point so you know as we continue to shift as we continue to change and learn as we go through this process we hope you stay with us um we hope you really enjoy what we have planned we're really excited we just got some new equipment to play around with so that's exciting it even makes cool little noises we can i'm not going to do it right now but <laughs> i mean if you really wanted like a sad trombone i could i could do that you know it's maybe not appropriate at this time but <laughs> i think in a future episode we can try to read right. it in. yeah we'll, yep. we'll talk keep about your it. ears open keep your ears open that, that just means you need to listen all the way through every that's episode right. you never know for the easter egg of the sad trombone yeah. it'll be there yeah one of these days it will be there yep. so uh yeah, we're, we're super happy to be doing this again. We, we took a little bit of time off to uh, to kind of recalibrate and uh, celebrate some of the, the end of the year. Some of the things that we accomplished, we're really proud of a lot of the things that we were able to accomplish in 2020. And we're looking forward into this year and years beyond. And, and we're really, really hopeful for a lot of cool and beautiful things coming forward. So... Uh, We hope to see you soon.